Back at work, after a nice uh, punch in the clock. Yeah, after a, a bit of bit of freedom. I'm Garrett McQueen. I'm Scott Blankenship. And this is Triloquy: True and Real Stories from the Fringes of Classical Music. We're fresh off of a of a little weekend excursion. A nice uh, long weekend to the North Shore. I had, you know, if. Uh, two years ago, if you said I'm taking a trip to the North Shore, I'd have no idea what you're talking about. So I'm not going to assume that everyone listening knows what the North Shore is or where that is. Scott, what is the North Shore? They're referring to the North Shore of Lake Superior, which runs a, a good a, a good portion of the eastern border of Minnesota. And we were uh, talking about going up there for a long time. You had all of these uh, fond memories and talking about how beautiful it is uh, up there. It's magical. It, it's, it has a mystic sort of feel to me. It, it, it really does. Uh, and and I'm again, I'm handing this over to you because, you know, it was my first trip to the North Shore of Minnesota. I haven't lived in Minnesota for, for all that long. So how about you uh, you sell the North Shore uh, to someone who has never been there? Why, why is it such a beautiful place to visit? There is, you remember the hill that we crested just before you get that first peak. Yeah, and that was in Duluth, right? Right. And when you hit that part of the highway where you're just about to get your first sight of the lake. It feels like Christmas morning before you walk out mm -hmm. to the tree or wherever your presents are. You know, you have that sort of butterflies anticipation and then you see it. And every time it's like I'm seeing it for the first time, just the expanse of it, the size of it. Um, it has a, a beauty and a lure about it, but also sort of a I'll kick your ass if yeah. you're not looking. If you're not if you're not watching, I will take you down. Right, because you know where I'm where I come from down south. You know, getting on your boat and hanging out at the lake and drinking a few beers or whatever is one thing. But you know, Lake Superior looks as like you're looking at the ocean. It might as well be. Yeah, it, yeah. it might as well be the northern coast, or they call it the North Shore. So, um, and yeah, go ahead. Go and ahead. Uh, well, just briefly, I like the fact that you can have whatever experience you want along yeah. the North Shore. You can walk the Superior Hiking Trail and sleep on the ground in a tent and then walk down and uh, stay at a resort with a spa before you head back. So you can have everything from very rustic, bare bones, sort of minimalist experience all the way over to an extravagant re resort stay. And I think we split the difference, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, we were somewhere in the middle. It was a, I think it was a nice start to have a, you know, a, a fire pit outside. The lake was close, but so a bed to sleep in so, indoors. Yeah, so it was a, a nice bed and a shower and all that. Yeah. So and 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 we got we got a, a little bit of audio up there. So uh, there will be a a North Shore opus of of Triloquy coming up here in a in a couple weeks. Um, but when we got back from uh, the North Shore uh, yesterday. Uh, I was ready to, you know, post pictures to my social media and everything, and I was seeing all over my timeline that uh, Jesse Norman uh, passed away. And um, be before we get too deep into that, I, I do want to say that um, today's opus, we're, um, we're focusing on uh, Megan Oglesby, uh, one of our own. She works on performance today, um, and, you know, Megan, it's too bad that I've already had the conversation with Megan because I'm sure that she has, you know, some really intense and really poignant things to say about the late, great Jesse Norman. You know, this this black woman who rose to classical music fame, not just across the country, but, you know, quite literally uh, uh, around the world mm -hmm. uh, is, is just, I'm, you know, of course, Jesse Norman is a name, you know, but, yeah. you know, is, is there much that you can uh, speak, uh, much you can say about her career and how, you know, it's impacted your career or maybe even your personal listening, your personal sure. life? Sure. Even uh, when, when I first started as an intern at the first public radio station I worked at, uh, Jesse Norman was the soprano that we played mm -hmm. on the air, you know, and okay, so that would have been 1989. And sure. you have to remember that she made a late Met debut. It had only been like six years prior. Right. Um, she debuted over in Europe right, before right. she debuted here in the United States. So um, the sopranos that I remember us playing on the air was Jesse Norman, 
Kathleen Battle. Yeah. And uh, every once in a while, who's the people's diva? I keep remembering. Are you her. thinking of Leontine Price? Well, we would play her too, but. Um, oh, the, oh, you're talking about the woman who sang the national anthem at yeah. the Super Bowl a few yeah, years why am ago. Yeah, why am I blanking on her name? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> this is so embarrassing. Renee Fleming, of there course. Yeah. yeah, anyway. Um, yeah, and, you know, R- Renee's story is incredible. You know, Kath, you know, you mentioned Kathy Battle. You know, the thing that me and my friends would kiki all all the time about is sort of the drama, the tea, and the shade between Jesse Norman and Kathleen Battle, and, <laughs> and it's it is there. It is it is definitely there. Yeah. Um, you know, I remember um, one interview with uh, Jesse Norman. Now that you've brought up Kathy Battle, uh, she talks about why race is significant and why race is important. And she shaded Kathy Battle a little bit by saying that. Um, you know, it's great to be um, one of the few black uh, sopranos out in the uh, classical music field. But don't tell Kathy Battle I said that. You know, <laughs> Je- Jesse Norman always uh, had a sense of humor, such a bright um, personality and um, and was always willing to um, tell her story. And, and one of the interviews that I watched uh, most recently, you know, as, as everyone is going back and revisiting the legacy of Jesse Norman, is how she talks about how, um, you know, she attributes her career um, to one of the things we talk about all the time on this podcast when it comes to uh, people of color and women, it's access. You know, she had access to um, a school arts program and she had parents, she happened to have parents who were very much involved in, you know, what she did in school, whether it was her math class or English class or her music. And music is, you know, what fueled her career. And uh, I brought in a clip from an interview she did back in uh, 2012 where she uh, speaks to that exact thing. You know, parents in those days would not have allowed the kind of things that are happening with the school's curriculum these days, all over the country and all over the world, that the arts are simply dropping out of the curriculum. They wouldn't have allowed it. They knew how much being a member of the chorus or a member of the movement group or a member of the poetry society or a member of the band, they realized how much this influenced everything else in our lives and that it was a part of education that really is just too important to be left aside. I absolutely adore listening to her talk. She reminds me of the Oracle from mm, the from Matrix. The Matrix yeah. when, you know, there there's a um, a regalness about it. You know, um, uh, a high educated, you know, sort of um, proper sort of a sound. But she's talking about things that we talk about right here on the podcast. You know, Um, in in an interview from 2014, she talked about how racial barriers are still happening out in the real world. So how how can you expect for them not to be happening within classical music and opera? So she was on the forefront of of fighting these things, you know, even back in the 80s. And, you know, a, a conversation, you know, you, you mentioned how regal she sounded. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people might use the phrase well-spoken, and that in itself has become a bit of a pejorative these days mm-hmm. because you, because with that comes the idea, oh, wow, this black person is a little different. She's actually X, Y, and Z, you know. And, you know, she would even... uh uh, address that uh, in in her talks and and just in the way she moved by by talking about how you know you you mentioned that she got her start um, in Europe and and not in America. That's because while she was in school, she won this competition in which she got to premiere over in Munich. Oh, uh, I, I, okay. I believe it was. You know that makes sense. So you know J- Jesse Norman is is a product of her environment and and despite how buttoned up and and stuffed shirt people thought she may have sounded she was down with the cause if if anybody was you know both in in her activism and musically there are so many um uh, recordings out there uh, of her singing these beautiful negro spirituals just reminding people of her you know where she came from down in uh, augusta georgia i I believe it was augusta you know and and the lineage that that uh she went to howard behind she went to howard you know like Jesse, Jesse Norman was black. Yeah. Jesse Norman was black. Very much so. And, you know, it's just, you know, I, I personally look up to her because she was able to traverse all of those um, different arenas. You know, these age old uh, European opera um, houses um, while bringing her blackness with her. 
Um, yeah. You know, shout out, quick shout out to the Need to Know podcast. When I was a guest um, on their show, what I kept repeating was you can't separate your blackness from your blackness. You know, Jesse Norman was that. Where she landed happened to be classical music and she happened to be the one of the best to ever do it. You know, but, you know, you, you cannot take that away from her. And um, and that's the point that I wanted to make here. I'll make the point uh, when I get on the on the radio uh, later tonight is that her race is significant because she gave folks like me someone to look to, you know, to, to say, wow, somebody from the South where I came from, um, someone who's black like I am, managed to do this thing, you know, and I, I don't know. I, right. I, there's there's something to, the, to be said about that. Yeah, climb to the top of something that is, if not considered, at least seen as a white thing. Right. And a lot of these roles that she did, she sang all the major roles of Wagner and Strauss, Janicek, Poulenc, all these opera composers that were traditionally sung by European white women. And she came in and gave some of the definitive performances of those and then operas, and then know? in addition to that you know like i mentioned she went in, into some of these spaces and brought a little black music with her um she did so back in uh, 1990 she sang uh some negro spirituals um at at the met and i actually uh brought in uh, a clip of that performance in particular for us to take a quick listen to as well you can tell a nation about that tell that jesus has done Wow, what a legend. Uh, Jesse Norman, they were musicians from the Met um, in that a clip from a performance of a Negro spiritual she sang called You Can Tell the World. And, uh, wow, yeah, Miss Norman did just that. That performance was led by James uh, Levine, who... James Levine. James Levine, who, you know... He's canceled. Yeah. (laughs) Well, if not canceled, he's close. He's about to, like, sort of fade away because I don't know if you've been following the news, but Mm -mm. just uh, back in August, the Met settled the uh, the suit surrounding his inappropriate behavior, shall we say? Sure. Um, the uh, the uh, it, it's unknown how much money was actually paid out, but they were seeking almost six million dollars. Oh my goodness! So and, and you know he's got it. He's right, probably right. got it. And, and and that's another reason to just you know sing the praises of Jesse Norman. You know, no, there is no telling how how much you know nonsense and bullshit she had to deal with. Over in Europe, here in America, you know, for the fact of her being a woman, have uh, being a black woman, and you know, d- despite all of those challenges, she was still able uh, to make it. So, yeah, rest in power uh, to the to the now uh, late great uh, Jesse Norman. Um, you know, my favorite. But before we move too far away uh, from her, my favorite. Um, performance of hers was her rendition of the uh, El Konish, you know, the uh, the Schubert song about a father and son riding home um, on a horse. I'll, we'll, I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll listen to it after. We'll uh, listen to it and watch a quick video after we uh, cut off the mics. But, you know, she, she was even able to, you know, sing these songs and, and, and create the example recordings of tunes written for the male voice, you know. So, mm. yeah, su- such, an, uh, such an incredible uh, figure uh, now. But it's not, you know, a father and son who uh, we're, you know, we're, we're centering uh, this opus of Triloquy around, but um, a mother and child, a mother and daughter. And uh, and that mother is Megan Oglesby. She's a producer on a performance today, you know, if not the most popular popular classical music radio show, uh, one of, of the most popular. Um, and she's a producer on that show. And, you know, we had a, a live Triloquy event um, last 
last week as we were recording this now. And, you know, you wanted to make the point to the crowd that the job of a producer is very important. And Megan Oglesby is a producer uh, mm-hmm. on performance today. You're a producer here on Triloquy. So, uh, you know, why, why don't you uh, kind of rehash what you uh, w- uh, wanted, wanted to make sure that the audience heard um, last week, uh, you know, understood about what it means to be a producer? What, cause, because, you, you know, you, you have mm-hmm. feelings about that and experience in that. Sure. Um, obviously, the role of talent is to go out and present the subject matter in the most engaging and, you know, hopefully fun or informative way that you can. Yeah. But what you don't see is the mountains of work that goes on leading up to that. Okay, so a producer is putting together all of the nuts and bolts to make sure that the talent can go out there and shine. Yeah. Okay, so um, I mentioned uh, in the uh, Clara Schumann event when interviewing Megan, I get here in the morning and she's here. Yeah. I leave in the evening and she's still sat there. There's times where I've been going on in the air at seven and she'll walk by me, you know, loaded up, leaving. And she's, she's also doing CrossFit and she's always got a weekend calendar full of social things that she's doing and taking care of her daughter on top of all of it. I, I, I don't know if I've got enough gas in the tank to do everything that she does. Oh, I certainly don't. You know, just we, we spent a bit of time talking about Jesse Norman. Megan Oglesby is another one of these phenomenal black women who is just doing the work to a level that I cannot even understand. You Making know, it happen, ma- happen. You, you know, she not only is, does she just make it happen, but she makes it happen, as you mentioned, while having so many other things going on, including, you know, raising her beautiful daughter. And That's I don't, the rub. Oh, yep. goodness gracious, having a, having a child to take care of is something I cannot wrap my mind around. Mm-hmm. I can't take care of myself <laughs> a lot of the time, much less me and someone else. Um, so, yeah, how about, uh, how about we... Hop into my uh, conversation with uh, Megan Oglesby. Megan Oglesby, thank you so much for uh, coming to this Your Classical Black Employee meeting. I think we all are here. <laughs> we are all here. <laughs> you know, uh, pe- people, people talk all the time about uh, creating diverse spaces and, and all that stuff. But, you know, just, just the fact of having somebody black to talk to and connect to is just so important to, to the workplace, in my opinion. Oh, my gosh. Garrett, before you, I was the only person in the club. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, 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 it's really refreshing to be able to, to come to this special meeting today. And I appreciate you for having me on. Amen. Uh, you know, something I always tell people, uh, you know, when, when they just want a specific example of why it's so important for, um, you know, black folks to have comrades in the workspace, when I was moving here, one of my big concerns was where in the world am I going to get my hair done? Oh. And I remember just seeing you on the email list. And I was like, okay, well, she know. And, you know, the person you uh, suggested to me is uh, who who keeps it tight here, here in the <laughs> Twin Cities. So I appreciate that. Very, ha- very happy to be able to help you out in that way. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's just something that uh, so many people take for granted. Uh, you know, and we're talking about community um, in, in the workspace and otherwise. Uh, you know, community, specifically black community, um, it seems like has always been something important to you all the way down to the uh, sorority that you uh, so <laughs> proudly uh, represent everywhere you go. Yes, yes, it, it has. I mean, I uh, moved to the Twin Cities when I was 16 with my family. Mm-hmm. and From um, where? From Chicago. Okay. And um, I, for the first time in my life, was in a space where I was the minority all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I grew up on the south side of Chicago. I went to a really diverse high school. Um, my, my elementary school was was mostly African-American children. Um, so I had never really been in schools or other places where most of the time it wasn't a whole lot of people like right. me. Right, Um so that was really, really interesting for for a 16-year-old. Why did I start talking about that? We were talking about you moving here and uh, community and, and finding other, you know, black people uh, to, to sort of, you know, cultivate that community and how community has been an important part of, you know, your your upbringing and your, and your journey. Right. <laughs> it's, it's early. It's fine. <laughs> it's early. It's early. So that... 
that, that was really an interesting experience for a 16-year-old. So I finished my last two years of high school, and I got on out of here, and I went to an HBCU. Which was what? Which one? Which was Rust College in Holly Springs, Mississippi. You went to Rust. Okay, I sure yeah, did. I, I, I know other people who went to Rust. And, um, and every time I talk to someone who went to an HBCU, I just have to say that, you know, no matter how many episodes of A Different World I watched as a child, yeah. the idea of going to an HBCU for some reason just was not presented to me. You know, my, my parents didn't go to college, so they couldn't okay. really push that forward. What got you to an HBCU? You just were, you were, you wanted to see some more of your folks, I guess. I did, but both of my parents went to Rust College. Okay, so, so you're I'm a legacy. A, I'm a legacy. I'm, <laughs> I'm a second-generation Rustite. Yeah. And uh, so I come by it righteously. Both of my parents went there. Uh, my favorite aunt, she went there as well, uh, my father's youngest sister. And so all of my life, all I knew was Rust College, Rust College, Rust College, or HBCUs. And I didn't actually want to go to Rust College mm-hmm. at first. I, I wanted to go someplace else. I was really interested in uh, two other schools. I wanted to go to Hampton in Virginia, yeah. or I wanted to go to Tennessee State University. Okay, come on TSU. Okay, come on TSU. <laughs> That's where I wanted to go. And it just didn't work out, and I ended up going to Rust College. But I loved it. Yeah. I absolutely loved it. Was loved there, it, loved it. Was there a culture shock for you coming from the south side of Chicago to Minnesota and then down to Mississippi? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, to say the least. So I, 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 had, I probably had a bigger culture shock coming to the Twin Cities coming from the south side of Chicago. Okay. Um, I remember my first day of high school because um, I, I ended up going to two different schools. I went to class. My first class was a math class. And, you know, they make you come in and stand up and say, hi, my name is whatever, you know, when you're a new student. Yeah. And so I came in and that he said, you know, you can go ahead and take a seat. The only seats left in the class were in the back. So I go to the back of the room and I sat down. And um, then he said, okay, class, we have a new student. And, you know, he asked me to stand up. I was the only black person in the room. And I said hello to everybody and told them, you know, what my name is, and I just moved here from Chicago. And everybody in that classroom turned around and looked at me, and they turned right back around again. Nobody said a word. And that was just your entrance into this state, into your new home? Yes. And I, I guess that's what they call Minnesota nice, huh? That's what they call Minnesota <laughs> nice, baby. I was like, oh, where did I just go? walk into what is what is this well did you eventually find a sort of community at, at your high school or, or no. was it just you <laughs> it was no I eventually um I transferred to another school and I mean but the the reason for that was because they redrew the district lines and said that I had to go to a different school but that was great for me because I was like oh yes I got to get out of here yeah yeah because <laughs> um, it just wasn't a very friendly place but what I will say is that today that school is like majority uh, black people or uh, African students. Yeah, so it's yeah. really, really interesting uh, that I learned that this year. I say, what? <laughs> Not that lily white place I went to. Um, but I went to a different school, which was a little bit more diverse, and I had a better experience, but I still didn't really make any lasting connections. Hmm. Uh, when I came back here uh, to the Twin Cities uh, almost two years ago now, I didn't know anybody. I didn't know anybody. I had one person who I kind of kept in touch with over the years from high school, but we didn't keep in touch with each other anymore. Right. Matter of fact, I just saw her recently, and I acted like I didn't even know who she was. Acting funny. So <laughs> we, go, we could cut that out. But, uh, yeah, I, I just was not able to make any lasting uh, connections with anybody. No, Were you able to make those connections at down at Russ College? Yes. Okay. Yes, I was. Yes, I was. Most of all of my friends now are people who I met when I was in college. Now, were you down there um, as a as a music student or, or journalism? No, or? I was down there as a journalism student, although I didn't start off that way. Okay. I, I was a political science major for four years. For four whole years? For four whole years before I decided to change my major to mass communications. Oh, okay. So what, is, is something in particular that, that inspired that? Yes. So I everybody thought I was a mass comm major anyway because I was always over there in the department doing uh-huh. something. I was just over there hanging out. I was just over there for fun. Yeah. I was doing I was doing the newscast. I was an anchor. I was I had I worked in the radio station. Mm-hmm. I had my own radio show. I was on the air every Saturday. I had a I had a, a, a R and B show on Saturday nights. Okay. 
And I was just always over there just because. Uh, meanwhile, other students are complaining about doing newscasts. I was over there having, a, <laughs> I was over there doing it for fun. <laughs> I didn't have to be time. there. I was, just, I just signed up. I said, yeah, let's do this. And um, then I, I looked up and realized that's why I was spending all of my time. Yeah. And I also realized that I didn't want to go to law school, which was the reason why I had chosen political science mm. as a major. I was thinking, oh, I, I want to go to law school. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, Megan Oglesby Esquire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that has a good ring that to has, it. That has a good ring to it. And uh, my dad wanted me to go to law school, and I always enjoyed political science. And I mean, well, not political science. I always enjoyed social studies classes. Yeah, I've always noticed that I consistently made the best grades in social studies classes, even over English classes. Mm-hmm. I consistently made the best grades there uh, throughout my educational matriculation. So I was like, okay, this is a logical choice, poli sci. Yeah. But obviously that wasn't where my heart was. And I ultimately decided to change my major, even though it was going to make me have to spend more time in school. Right. Yeah. It's, it's something how um, life just works like that. Because, you know, I started as an English major. Oh. And um, when, when I saw that it wasn't a whole bunch of music classes that I had time for in my schedule, I, you know, that's, that's when I switched over to music education and then eventually music performance. And, mm. yes, co- college has a way of telling you what's up, isn't it? You don't know, they? <laughs> they do. They do. You know, I wanted to go to school for theater. Okay. Um, actually, I wanted to be an actor. I still want to be an actor. And uh, I didn't go to school for that because my parents told me no, Yeah. <laughs> basically. Yeah. They said, no, no, no. If you, you want to act, you can do that. But you need to go and get your degree in something else. You need to get something right. you can fall back on. So I was like, okay, fine. So I'm, I'm going to go pick something else. And I did attempt to go to graduate school uh, for theater after I got my master. Okay. After I got my bachelor's degree, I auditioned for uh, this huge, um, this huge, huge organization that does these big auditions for all of the major uh, theater graduate ma- uh, master's program. All of the major theater graduate programs in the country. <laughs> you fine. <laughs> and uh, it's called the Erdas. And they were having their auditions in Chicago uh, one year. And uh, this was after I had already graduated and got my bachelor's degree. Right. I traveled to Chicago and I went. Back, I did back the to audition, your hometown. Back to my hometown. And I ended up getting only one interview with one school. Hmm. And they ended up not uh, offering me the fellowship. So I had to go back to the drawing board. I'm just like, what am I going to do? Because, you know, because people see a degree in something like uh, journalism, mass communications as one of those, quote unquote, safe degrees. But I'm sure in that moment it didn't feel like you were completely safe. No, it did not. And so here I am back in Minneapolis kicking around trying to figure out what am I going to do with this degree? Yeah. Um, I mean, I was applying for things. I applied for a job right here at Minnesota Public Radio. And I did not get uh, hired, see. <laughs> nor did I get an interview, but that's okay, because God had another plan for me. Amen. And um, I decided to go back and get my master's in, in broadcast journalism, so I went back down uh, to the south. But I went to Arkansas State University and got my master's there. And um, Shout out to Jonesboro. Oh, yeah. Shout, <laughs> shout out to Jonesboro, Arkansas. Yeah. ASU. And my you, people down there. And you got that degree. Did the did the path clear up after you got your master's? Did it seem like you had more options? No. Um, <laughs> I'm sure it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> no, it didn't. Well, let me take that back. I'm not going to say that. Um, I didn't get to the place to where I had to find out. And that's because I got offered a position. Okay. I got offered a job. Um, 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 the president, the current president of my alma mater, Rust College in Holly Springs, Mississippi, he called me and offered me a job. He said, I have an opening. At Rust? At Rust. And so he actually called me a year into my program. And I said, I really appreciate that, but I'm still working on my master's. So he said, okay, will you finish? I said, all right. And I did. And he called me back. Oh, wow. And he said, I have an opening. Um, he said, you should apply for this job. I said, okay, I'm going to apply for the job because I was getting ready to graduate. Yeah. 
Um, and I didn't have, I had, I didn't had security anything yet. At the time I was trying to get into radio. So I was kind of working at a local radio station in Jonesboro. I was working at a, um, one of those hot 100 stations. Sure. Yeah. One of those CHR current hits. Mm -hmm. And, um, I used to come in at night on the graveyard shift and do do a couple of hours of voice tracking. Oh wow! And uh, I go down there and, and and do my thing, talking about what was going on in pop culture and talking about the music we were listening to. Um, but it wasn't going anywhere. And then they told me that they weren't going to be able to pay me anymore. Oh, so that's when you really. <laughs> and I was like, Well, where do I go from here? Like, how am I how am I going to grow with you or? It, do anything if 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 you can't even pay me for the couple of hours I do. Right. Um, so I ended up having to leave uh, because at the time I I was living on my own. I had bills I had to pay. So right. I, I I had to work. So I got a waitress job. I was uh, you know, uh, slanging tables. <laughs> <laughs> and, Child, uh, I know that. I I, I know that world. Pay, yeah, pay, you're telling paying me my nothing. bills while I was uh, wrapping up my master's program. Yeah, and um, so I, I I was I was blessed to to get that phone call and say there was an opportunity and I applied and uh, the application process went well, interview process went well. Uh, all of my my former teachers who who became my interviewee, my interview my interviewers. Yeah, and uh, eventually my colleagues. Well, all very impressed with the interview. They apparently they were pleased with what I had learned. Yeah. <laughs> in graduate yeah. school, and uh, I was able to start my career there, and I was there for four years. So, what pulled you from Russ back to this place that you moved to as a teenager that you didn't really love? And <laughs> NPR did. Yeah. NPR did. Uh, I was at a place in my career where I needed another. I needed a new job. I, I was tired of. I wanted to get out of academics, and yeah. I and I wanted to pursue what I have been looking for in the first place, which was a, a, a job in radio. Yeah. So um, I started looking and looking and looking and looking, and I just, I wasn't having any luck in, in the Mid-South area because I wanted to stay down South. And it just wasn't working out. So uh, finally I said, well, I need to branch out. I, I can't keep looking in the same places. So I started applying for work. Um in the in the Twin Cities area and in Chicago area because I'm like that's where I have family let's look there so I started looking up uh public radio yeah and who had openings in public radio in those two areas and I applied for everything that looked like I was qualified. Yeah, <laughs> everything that rhymed with everything your degree path. Everything that rhymed with my degree path. <laughs> <laughs> anything anything that I knew I know how to do that. I applied for it. Mm -hmm. Did I apply for several jobs in the same company and organization? Yes, I did. I was desperate. I didn't care. Uh, and it worked out. It worked out. I got offered uh, this amazing position with Performance Today. And uh, at the t when I was applying for the job, and then when I was hired for the position, at the time, I did not really understand yet uh, the opportunity that I had been given. Yeah. Um, and I also didn't understand um, the kind of impact that I was going to be able to have. Right, right. And I also didn't understand or realize that I was going to be the only person like me doing what I do, doing this kind of thing in this company anyway. Yeah. And but and bef so. before we get into that specifically, I, I'm curious to know, con <clears throat> considering the fact that you had applied um, for a job with the organization before and didn't hear anything back, did did that uh you know did you feel a way coming in um well I, well I guess first of all what's 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 the relationship between the job you applied for and the job you end up getting were were they were they similar no okay the job I applied for years ago was either a news reporter position or a news producer position but not a but not a music but it was not a music yeah. thing. Um, at the time, I was looking at news. Yeah. So, so, uh, so, what attracted you to a, a more a music focused job? I mean, do you do you have a you know you talked about having a background in music radio, but do you have a, a personal background in music? Well, um, the music part of the job description 
had nothing to do with why I was interested in the job. Okay. Okay. That's interesting. I meant what I said when I applied for everything <laughs> that I was qualified for. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And when I looked at the job description for this job, when I saw the opening, it it lined up with 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 the with my educational credentials. It also lined up with the uh, work experience that I had, um, and it also sounded like something that uh, would really give me the opportunity to uh, flex my creative skills and my, and my journalist skills. Yeah. That's one of the incredible things about public radio is because, I, you know, I have no educational background in media, broadcast, anything. But uh-huh. b- because I, you know, come from the world of classical music, I can apply that to this job. Right. And in the same way that you can apply your very formal background in journalism and broadcast yes. to classical music. Yes. And so I, so the music thing was just a bonus. I was happy that it was in music because mm-hmm. I, I I love music. I enjoy classical music, um, so it was it was a bonus for me. But it wasn't the main thing that made me go like, oh yeah, I really want to do this. Um, it was just a happy coincidence. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have a little bit of background in music. When I was a kid, I did play the clarinet and the piano. Okay. Uh, but I eventually gave it up uh, as I got older. And uh, I've always sang. I still sing. And I've done quite a bit of musical theater or uh, singing in theater and things like that uh, throughout my college years and and, uh, in in, in recent years as well. Actually, the last time I was on stage, I was singing, and that was in 2015. Okay, not too long ago. Not too long ago. And the only reason why it's been so long at this point is because I've been taking care of my three-year-old daughter. So. Yeah, yeah. Shout yeah. out to Morgan. Shout She's out so to sweet. Morgan. Yeah, we'll yeah. talk about Morgan here in a second. Uh, a few minutes ago, you talked about something that you didn't know or that you took for granted was the impact, the unique impact you could have in um, a, a job like you have now. Talk, talk to me more about that. In the position that I have, I get to make a lot of decisions about content. Mm-hmm. I get to determine what the show looks like and what it sounds like. So first of all, what's your official position with performance today? My official position with performance today is producer. Okay. So we have several different kinds of producers. We have, well, we have a lot of producers. Yeah. <laughs> Let me say that. Performance today has a lot of producers. You need them for a daily show. Like you need performance them for today, a daily yeah. show. Uh, but I'm the only producer. <laughs> yeah, you said with a capital P. <laughs> with a capital P. So we have our senior producer, the amazing uh, Suzanne Schaefer, mm-hmm. and then we have me, and we have two associate producers, and even though their titles are associate producers, they both have very different jobs. Yeah. And then we have technical producers and um, things like that. So um, I'm the only just plain producer on the show. Yeah. <laughs> So what I do is I choose the majority of the music uh, that people hear on the show, myself and the senior producer, Suzanne. Um, Between the two of us, we make 97% of the choices in terms of what music gets played on the show. Yeah, yeah. Every week. Um, So that that is the first huge part of the work that I do. But that's big. That, that no, that's, that's huge. That's huge. Yeah. That's huge because we are determining what kind of music is on the show. So that means we're determining who and what is being represented on the show. Right. Exactly. And then when you start talking about, you know, that sort of uh impact as far as who is being represented you're talking about what we you know conversations surrounding classical music what we consider classical exactly and who who gets to be a part of that conversation exactly and because performance today is the most listened to most popular most well-known classical music radio program in the country that is a huge deal because people are looking to performance today to say this is classical music yeah this is the music of today. This is the classical music that we should be listening to. These are the people who you should know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and to be able to be a part of that is amazing. And I just didn't realize at the time of my hiring that that's what I was getting ready to be doing. 
Um, was was there a moment for you? Did you sit down one day and say, oh, my goodness, I can make a difference here? Yes, I did. And that was after I got here and folks started asking me questions and listening to what I had to say and implementing my ideas and suggestions. Yeah. I was like, oh, my God. You're like, wait. Oh, so, oh, wait, so this is what we're doing. <laughs> so, this what we, so, this is, so this is what we're doing. Yeah. And this is what I can do. Um, and it also happened when I went to, you know, some of our features meetings where I was, you know, we're, we're pitching ideas for, you know, who should we talk to or what should we cover? What kind of things should we be doing on the show? Yeah. And I'm coming up with ideas and everybody's like, that's fantastic. Let's do that. And we did it. Yeah. That's when I realized how much of an impact I could have. Um, and it's it's been absolutely, absolutely incredible. What's an example of, of one of those ideas you had? I mean, is it as simple as just making sure that you're featuring composers or musicians of color on the show? It could be, and it is sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it is on like on a daily basis um, in my in my daily description of what I need to do all, every day, and when I'm choosing music, that's ongoing. Which it's is more that. than most of the. I don't know. I'm not trying to drag nobody right now, but, <laughs> but don't but, drag nobody. But, but, but for that to be on your you know docket every day, I mean that in itself is is phenomenal, especially inside of classical music. Oh yeah, yeah. That's 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 on my docket every day. Every day when I am programming the show, I am thinking about that, and so and so is my my senior producer Suzanne Schaefer. The both of us are actively thinking about this every day for every hour of the show that we program. Mm-hmm. When we look at the show and we we break it into two hours. And we look at these individual hours and say, okay, I need to fill it with music. When I'm looking for music to fill those hours with, I'm looking for, do I have anybody of color represented in terms of artists who are playing or the composer or the conductor? Mm -hmm. Do I have any women? Do I have any composers who are people who we don't hear all the time? Right. Do we have any composers who are not dead? Yeah. And 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 we're asking ourselves these questions when we're programming because we're trying to make sure we are hitting several of those areas in each hour of the show. Yeah, yeah. Every day. Um, and, we, we, and we sort of take for granted sometimes why that's important. I mean, right. why, we why, do. Why, why is it in, important for, for a show like Performance Today to represent such a, a wide variety of, of individuals as far as the programming is concerned? It's important because we want to represent the community that we serve. Yeah. The people who listen to the show are not all the same. They don't all look the same. They're not all from the same places. They don't all speak the same languages. They don't all like the same food. Um, so we need to serve those people. Classical music is not just one type of thing either. Yeah. It's being played by so many different kinds of people in so many different places. And the show is called Performance Today. Yeah. So we need to reflect what's happening in classical music today. Yeah. And we cannot accurately or adequately do that if we're playing only the Beethovens and the Shostakoviches and Mm -hmm. the Rachmaninoffs. If we're only doing that because those are the classics and those those are the people who who pave the way, we're not leaving room for the music to live on to continue. Right. Right. We, so, you got to let it breathe. You got to let it grow. You have to let it breathe. You have to let it grow. And we wouldn't be performance today if we did not reflect what's happening in classical music today. Right. Right. Which is us. Which is us. <laughs> I'm, I'm wondering if you had any sort of learning curve when you um, accepted this position, because without that formal classical mu- music uh, training and background, it seems like, you know, having to deal with, you know, learning about these composers and these orchestras might be a little uh, overwhelming for, for some folks. 
you know, it was it wasn't that overwhelming, um, or it hasn't been. And I, I'm lear- I'm learning every day. I learn every day. I'm still learning every day. Um, but I don't know. I think I think because of the 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 small bit of musical background that I have, and that I come from a um, a very a talented family where, you know, music was surrounding me all the time. My grandmother plays the piano. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up playing the piano. Um, my mother is an award-winning uh, singer and actor. Uh, my father sings. My grandmother sings. We all sing. Um, and I've always been in the theater. I, I, I grew up sitting in the audience uh, of a theater watching my mother in her, in her, in her, um, in her, rehearsals while I did my homework yeah um so I I grew I I literally grew up on a stage so it's not that foreign to me mm-hmm. um so there were some things of course that I, I had to learn and that I'm still learning but it it wasn't it wasn't a, a huge culture shock for me coming in yeah yeah but I'm sure for some people it is I mean how do you how do you deal it with bridging that gap the through through, excuse me, through the programming and, and through, through programming, that sort of thing. The way, you, the way you bridge that gap is you focus on the narrative, on creating stories and telling stories. Mm. And we have such an amazing team. Um, our script writer, associate producer, Kathleen. Yeah, who's been on the podcast. Yeah, who shout has out been to on her. The po- who has been on the show. Shout out to Kathleen. She's incredible. Yeah. Incredible in her writing and her storytelling. And she's able to tell stories in such a way that they can reach everybody where they are. And our host, Fred, is amazing, 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 amazing. And the two of them are a dynamic duo. And when they get together to come up with how we talk about these musical choices that myself and Suzanne Schaefer have chosen, they create stories and narratives that tug on your heartstrings and speak to you as a human being. So it doesn't matter what you know or what you don't know. We're telling stories in such a way that should say to everyone that this music is for you. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm still listening back to um, what what you're saying is reminding me. I'm still listening back to the uh, newest Beyonce album, and uh, one of the opening tracks is called uh, "Bigger." When she's talking about how you know everything we do, we have to think about how that applies to the bigger picture. And I think about that, um, you know, hear, hearing you talk about getting these stories and narratives out there, but it also makes me think about her relationship with her daughter Blue and uh-huh. your relationship. With your daughter Morgan, you know how how you know not only are you uh, touching into the bigger picture as far as classical music, you know your your purpose as a human being is bigger because of her. Right. I mean, how does how does your job at Performance Today parlay with your relationship with Morgan? I'm sure you read a story or hear a piece of music um, all the time that makes you think about her or, or think about something de- de- dealing with uh, your relationship with Morgan. Well, the way that it, it kind of correlates for me is that in the work that I do every day, um, I already talked about the, the opportunity that I have to be able to make such a huge impact. Yeah. But I get to be able to make an impact in a way that I can help to ensure that people who look like me and people who look like Morgan are uplifted. Mm-hmm. I can ensure that their names are spoken. I can ensure that their work is known and is heard. And that gives that gives me and my life more purpose and more meaning because being able to do that allows me to do something that I know that my daughter can be proud of. Mm-hmm. You are, you're making my eyes swell up right now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, I get to do something every day that shows people well that I get to do something every day that will one day show my daughter that people who are just like her have done these amazing things. Yeah. 
Um, and so that's, 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 that's how I think about it. That's how I think about her and, and, and think about what I do. Also, um, I've always endeavored to do something with my life that's pleasing to God. Mm-hmm. And that is going to make my family proud of me. And I get to do that every day with performance today. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. And, and, and of course, you know, Morgan will grow up to be proud of you. Your, your parents are proud of you. I'm sure the, the whole team here is just, uh, it, it's incredible. The opportunity that we both have to, yeah. to really, um, not only just demystify this thing called classical music, but make it a, a space that we all have equal ownership of, not exactly. not just a space that we're all invited to, but one that belongs to belongs us equally. To us. Exactly. Yeah. Well, Megan, how can, um, for folks who don't know, how can they um, check out your work, listen to Performance Today, or, or learn more about you personally? Well, uh, you can learn more about Performance Today on our website. That's yourclassical.org slash performance today. You can listen to any of our shows from the past 30 days there. You can also go back and look at features that we've done. Uh, A lot of work that I did on um, Black History Month for the past two years Mm -hmm. is uh, also there on our page. As well as Black Music History Month. As well as Black Music History Month. I created a series for that called the My Name Is series. And um, that work is there. People can check that out if they're interested in wanting to learn more about the amazing, amazing artists that we have working in classical music right now today, uh, writing music and creating music. Um, wonderful stories about them. Um, you can hear those stories in their own words. They're mm-hmm. telling you who they are themselves. Um, that was an amazing project uh, that I had a wonderful time working on last year and this year. That work is there. And... Um, I'm on Instagram. My personal my personal page <laughs> is on Instagram. Um, we can all take a look at your uh, your your body transformation. You oh are just working out. <laughs> I am always working out. <laughs> it, it's a, it's amazing that you can still you know manage to do everything you do as a mother. I, my my hat goes off to you. Thank you. I, look, it's it's a struggle every day. It's a, it's a struggle every day. But a struggle it's well worth it, I'm sure. Well worth it, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I'm on the ketogenic diet. I've started that in January. My daughter is also on the ketogenic diet because she has epilepsy. Mm-hmm. And uh, the diet is, is just doing wonders for her. She's not having nearly as many seizures as she used to have uh, since she started the diet. I've lost at this point. Last time I checked, I've lost 58 pounds. Ooh. And uh, God is good, man. You know, I'm, I'm on this, you know health journey or I'm just on this journey to be the best me that I have ever been mm-hmm. the best me that I could ever be. Um, also for, for my daughter, because she, she's doing this. I wanted to do it with her. Uh, but I also need to be the best me that I can for her, man. Yeah. You know, she, my daughter, uh, because of her condition, she doesn't walk. Uh, she has something called CDKL5 mm. disorder, which is a genetic disorder that causes epilepsy among other things. Yeah. It's a very, very, very rare disorder. Um, a lot of people don't know about it. Um, but it is it is um, becoming much more, uh, I don't, I don't want to say, it's becoming more well-known because they're, yeah. they're finding out more and more people who have it or who have had it and were never diagnosed. So awareness is growing. Awareness is growing. And... Um, but because of, of her disorder, she doesn't walk, she doesn't talk, uh, she can't, she's not independent, she can't do anything for herself. Um, and she's three, she's getting ready to be four, so that means that she's getting bigger yeah. and heavier. <laughs> and and uh, you got to be able to catch up, mommy, keep up. Mommy has to be able to continue to pick up and carry her around and, you know, take care of her and all of those things. So, you know, I, I had to get myself together, if only for that reason. Yeah. You yeah. know, so it's 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 been it's been a wonderful journey. I don't know how I, I don't know how I'm doing it, but <laughs> but, but you're doing it. <laughs> but I'm doing it. I'm doing it the best way I can. Well, thanks again for sitting with me, and 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 thanks. You know, every, again, we we started out talking about my hairstylist. Shout out to Jenny. Every time I sit in that chair, I thank 
you oh. for hooking me up. So You're welcome. <laughs> like, I, I remember when I got the email, because every time somebody gets hired in a the company, they send an email out to everybody saying, hey, we have a new employee coming in. Make sure you welcome them. And I got that email saying that you were going to be here. I was like, oh, I emailed you right away. Like, I think you were still in Nashville. I was just like, welcome to the team. So looking forward to meeting you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so happy to have you. <laughs> to to creating and maintaining community. Yes. <laughs> very, very important because I know what it's like to come to Minnesota as a black person. Yeah. And 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 feel alone. And I just didn't want that to happen to you. So I was like, <laughs> let me try to make a friend. <laughs> Well, hopefully by the time we uh, sit down again, the uh, Your Classical Black Employee Meeting will be expanded beyond just the two of us. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Thanks yes. again, Megan. Thank you. I am really glad that you had that experience with her as well, moving here. You know, she says, moving as a black person, let me help you out. <laughs> because as a white person, I didn't get any help when I moved here. I well, didn't know where I was going. Well, your hair isn't um, as, how, how can I say this politely? It doesn't require the upkeep that mine does. I have a little more of it as well. Ma uh, <laughs> hey, maybe not. But I will tell you that uh, as a man who wears a beard year-round, I don't let anybody, just anybody touch this. Yeah, mm -mm. yeah. <laughs> and I can tell. It looks very good. Thanks, man. <laughs> um, you know, I love Megan. I just have to go on and say that I just, I, she is such a positive vibe to have around. Listening back to our conversation, you know, it just, it warms my heart. And um, I think on the last Opus of Triloquy, you know, we were, uh, we were talking a little bit about, you know, getting into those rough spaces where, you know, you're trying to, you know, reaffirm your purpose, whether mm -hmm. it's at your job or even on this earth. And, you know, hearing Megan really um, affirm her purpose in so many different ways, but how they come together is just so beautiful because, you know, let's let, let's take her job alone. Again, Performance Today is such an important um, show uh, in, in the in the classical music ether. You know, she's the producer of that, you know, so that in itself is is high purpose. But then for her to see an even higher purpose in that, creating something and maintaining something that her daughter Morgan can grow up and listen to and see and, and be proud of her mother to say, you know, my mom did that. It's 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 so it's it's so beautiful. Shout out to Megan Oglesby. Uh, be sure to listen to her work on performance today. Again, you can catch that at yourclassical.org/performance-today. Scott, um, my first big uh, national radio break was on performance today, so it's a now look at you. It's it's a <laughs> yeah. Look at me now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so so yeah, I have a lot of uh, respect for that show. You know, uh, w you know, a as we close up here, I just wanted to reprise one thing that uh, Megan said, you know, she made the point that in her position, not only does she, uh, you know, choose the music that you hear, but you choose who and what is represented through that music. And, you know, I, I was very honored to have the opportunity to not just guest host an episode. I, I've, I've guest hosted several at this point, but, you know, that first one, I didn't just get to guest host it. I got to bring my perspective and they even let me program the music, which, of course, would include a bit of blackness, That's you know. Key knowing me um so so yeah shout out to megan shout out uh to the whole team uh shout out to kathleen uh bradbury who uh we had on triloquy um uh, a what while ago four. yeah wow <laughs> so uh, another important uh, member of the performance today team uh hope that we'll get to uh collaborate with them again soon and what are we looking for next time on uh, Triloquy? Very special opus. Yeah, the very first live opus of Triloquy. So we were invited by American Public Media uh, to record Triloquy in front um, of, of some of our donors. And um, we explored uh, Clara Schumann in honor of her 200th birth anniversary. We explored her um, as a musician, as a muse, and as a mother. So on the next opus of Triloquy, you'll actually get to hear from Megan again for a bit. Um, we also speak to uh, couple local musicians um, and the newest member of our team here on C24, uh, Melissa Dundas. So be sure to tune in uh, next time for the very first live opus of Triloquy. And remember, if you want to reach out, you can. Just send an email to triloquy at AmericanPublicMedia.org. That's T-R-I-L-L-O-Q-U-Y at AmericanPublicMedia.org. 